What's up, guys? Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about Chevalier Mortgage. You can call Mike in Virginia Chevalier, and they're not only diehard Broncos fans, but they've supported DNVR for a long time as DNVR members. They're a husband-wife team with over 15 years of financial services experience. Since your home is likely to be one of your largest assets and your mortgage your largest debt, they believe it is vital to consider your full financial picture when purchasing a home. This includes considering your short-term and long-term planning goals, your investments, and your tax situation. Mike and Virginia will work tirelessly to find the best loan for your situation. So visit them at dnvrmortgage.com, where you can also enter to win some sweet DNVR swag. Call Mike and Virginia Chevalier at 303-257-6578. I just love that song. I just love it. It's so good. I can't get enough of it. I really can't get it. It just absolutely slaps. Oh, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? What's up, fellas? How's it going? It is going fantastic. Of course, before we jump into the show, a shout out to MSU Denver Online. MSUdenver.edu slash online is the place to go to check out all they have to offer. Really fantastic stuff over there. If you're looking for an online education to finish off that degree, there's not a better place to go than MSU Denver. So shout out to MSU Denver and go over to msudenver.edu slash online today. My boys, what's up? Of course, week two of Broncos football kicking off today. Looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers, but also, man, we are coming off a big time win in the mile high city with the denver nuggets fraud city baby no one gave them a chance no one gave them a chance i'm sure you've seen the screenshot now of the 19 espn reporters not one of them even had clippers in seven all in clippers six five or four not a single person giving the nuggets a chance uh and man that makes it that much sweeter well in their defense how many of them were based in la as i was looking at that i'm like hmm See a lot of people from their LA studio shows on here. A <sighs> little bit, little bit of Homer bias, I think, that was filtering that in. But it's, it's good to see the best laid expectations of the uh, of of the LA syndicate go awry. Yeah, you're stuck with the Nuggets now against the Lakers. Enjoy. Yeah, the Nuggets, you know, a lot of people are worried. You know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about there out there of. <laughs> Oh, the Clippers are going to get the whistle, and they want L.A. L.A. so bad that they're going to make sure it happens. And the Nuggets left no doubt. They didn't leave it up to the officials. They just went and punched them in the mouth repeatedly uh, until they finally begged for mercy, and, and the final whistle blew. But, man, that was – oh, that's as, that's as good as it gets. This is – you know, we talked so much about the Nuggets last night at the bar and on the post DNVR Nuggets postgame show, but uh, – 
this, you know, this is the Nuggets Rocktober. Um, mm. It's just one of those special, special runs. Yeah, it, it is without a doubt. I mean, the only team ever to do what they've just done. And now they get to face LeBron. And man, what a series is going to, it's going to be so much fun. It is going to be fun. But we've got Broncos to talk about here today. Uh, and the news coming out today, I, it's, it's for the most part good news. Um, but it's not all, I guess, good news. A.J. Boye uh, is not going to have to have surgery. That's the good news. The bad news is, of course, that he's going to miss multiple weeks and, or at least one week probably multiple weeks and guys this is Ben Roethlisberger and Tom Brady back to back it's no it's not gonna be easy uh for the Broncos to sustain this loss and that's the huge bummer about it short term this is bad news long term good news you're not losing him for the season or for months on end but short news this is tough I mean he's your highest paid cornerback this is a guy that you brought in to you know be an upgrade over Chris Harris Jr who's been a staple in this defense for so so long of course and now you're without him and you're not just without him ryan it's like you said you're without him going against two future hall of fame quarterbacks which absolutely stinks yeah and the other thing of course i mean there's a lot to be positive about with how michael ojimudia is saying bassey did in their debuts monday night their entire nfl debuts let alone with the broncos but now you've got some film on them so as well as they did, there's going there's going to be a, a lot of study going on of those two in Pittsburgh, in Tampa Bay. So this is where the challenge for every young player always lies. How, what do you do after that first game when they're able to get some film on you, able to, to break you down and figure out your weaknesses and try to attack those? So it's a big test for the young guys. Yeah, I mean, the saying Bassey's really been <laughs> yeah. throwing in the fire. Vic Fangio, <laughs> a couple days before training camp ended, threw him out there yeah. with the first team to see if, if he would, quote, pee his pants, and he didn't. He was fine, and now the first game of his NFL career, he's thrown out there, but, you know, it's Ooh. against Ryan Tannehill, so a nice little stepping stone for him, and now it's not just his first road game in the NFL. It's going up against Ben Roethlisberger. He can put up, you know, four or 500-yard games if he wants. And the other thing is Ben, even though he's not, he is not fleet of foot, he still can buy time. That the that's the thing about him. He's a big guy and he's not going to take off and run, but sort of like Dan Marino back in the day, he can buy a few seconds by moving forward, moving back. So you've got to hold your coverage longer against Ben Roethlisberger still than you would against most quarterbacks. So here, you know, kids, here you go. Yeah, welcome yeah, to the NFL, up. guys. <laughs> you know, it's really it's really interesting to me because two weeks ago, if you would have asked me um, what position are the Broncos least equipped to handle injuries, uh, I probably would have put cornerback as one of the ones that was really high up there. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Michael Ojemudia flying all over the field in week one, making plays, should have had an interception if it wasn't for a... I don't know, questionable call. You know, mm. we talked about it yesterday. It, the call the call was the call. and Highly uh, questionable, he, as Vic Fangio said. Yeah, exactly. Um, Oge looked great. Bassey looked great. And uh, uh, our friend Seth Medvin of Broncos PR just tweeting out that he played the second most snaps of any undrafted player in, in the NFL uh, yesterday, uh, on Sunday and Monday. So that that's a great stat for him. But so those two guys give you a little confidence. And then – 
you know that you have Devontae Bosby just waiting for you on the practice squad, which I didn't think he should have been there in the first place. I think he's a starting caliber player in the NFL. So I I never would have thought I was saying this, but I feel pretty comfortable with how the Broncos are going to do this. On top of the fact that Vic Fangio has shown a, a skill for, for, for lack of a better term, hiding cornerbacks inside of his defense you know not letting a a young guy or a guy who's lacking experience get exposed very you know in a game yeah it's very true and it's also scary just to say that Vic can do that but we have seen that that Vic does a very good job of that and Ryan you also have Devontae Harris who it seemed like he was really in the lead for that third cornerback spot throughout much of training camp he didn't play a single snap on Monday night and you still have him available to you. So I would expect Devontae Bosby to step step up from the practice squad and be activated to the 53 to, to truly replace um, uh, Boye. But man, you're right. It's crazy the depth that the Broncos actually have at cornerback. We knew they were going to be cutting a player. We didn't expect it to be Bosby. And it's good that he fell to the practice squad because now they're going to need him. Yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, now you're, you're going to have to call him up and you're going to get to go up against Ben Roethlisberger, um, who, you know what? He's very slow, um, but he can still throw the ball pretty damn well. Can still throw the ball well. And, of course, Juju Smith-Schuster looked outstanding. Now it's it's not as deep a receiving core as as he had a couple of years ago, but it's still, it's still potent. And th- that entire offense Monday night, yeah, it's against the Giants, so don't put too much into it, but – looked energized compared to where it was last year. And and that offense, even without Roethlisberger, was enough to keep them in the playoff hunt for most of the season, despite having to play with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. I mean, what did it say about Paxton Lynch that he couldn't even beat out Duck Hodges to, to get any playing time in Pittsburgh? And now, of course, Paxton's out of football. So energized. That said, back when the schedule came out, thought well you know if if there are fans in the stands it could be emotional could be working against the Broncos because Ben Roethlisberger's back at Heinz Field back in front of Steeler Nation you're not gonna have to deal with that you'll have to play at Heinz Field but you're not gonna have fans in the stands so just as I think the Broncos were hurt on Monday by not having that support especially when they had the Titans backed up deep in their own territory when the crowd would have been normally going boncos. Well, you're not good. The Steelers aren't going to have that kind of moral support. So maybe that's going to help the Broncos out too, as they try to negotiate life without Boye. You're really trying to make boncos a thing, aren't you? <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind if it did. I, I'm trying to keep it alive. I just, I just wish that they actually wouldn't have, they wouldn't have canceled my order. I wanted that boncos hat. Oh, <laughs> it's such a you know it's like if you get in under before the buzzer yeah they should have to send it to you yeah <laughs> I, yeah I, I still have the screen capture of my order uh, and being confirmed and then a few hours later no sorry <laughs> you're not getting your bonkos hat or they should have or they should have reached out to you and said like just so you know it says bonkos do you still want it <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and they should have said i'll take them all Every yeah, single one of give them. Give me the lot. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll take them all and I'll sell them on eBay for twice the price. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, that's a as as good of a home field advantage as there is uh, in the NFL there in Pittsburgh. And you're going to get to dodge that. And it's almost like, okay, if you steal one there, 
Mm-hmm. Then you get to come home and you'll have 5,700 fans in the stands. And I, I think that people will be surprised the impact that even 5,000 fans can have on the game, just, you know, creating a little bit of ruckus and giving the team some momentum. Interesting. Interesting. Cause I, there were 500 fans on Monday <clears throat> night and I know that's, you know, 10 times less than what they're going to have. I'm, I'm not so sure. Now I, I hope that that does create a little bit of a home field advantage, but Guys, how much does this hurt not having A.J. Boye uh, against the Steelers? Because kind of the feeling I'm getting from you guys is the way Vic Fangio calls the defense, uh, the way the depth is at cornerback, that it's not that big of a deal. Is that how you feel? It is how I feel. Um, I think they have uh, the guys that can handle this now. Juju's going to be a problem, but Juju's going to be a problem no matter who you have out there, you know. I think Broncos fans will remember, like, a, what was it, 90-something yard touchdown that Big Ben threw to him when mm-hmm. Bradley Roby was covering him. And so um, he's a great player. He's going to make things difficult no matter what. But beyond him, Deontay Johnson is a, is a nice player, but not so nice that I don't think the Broncos can cover him with what they have left. And uh, the, the Steelers don't have too big of threats at the tight end position. So I think the Broncos can can handle this group. Without A.J. Boye, it, it's going to be difficult, and you might have to lean on your offense a little bit more. But uh, I, I don't think it's one of those things where you start looking at, at the guys they have out there and the guys you have out there and say, all right, we're going to have to get lucky here. Well, they're deeper at tight end now. They have Eric Ebron in, even though uh, Ebron didn't really do all that much on Monday night, of course, and he pairs with Vance McDonald. So they can cause some problems potentially there if they can get Ebron uncorked. The, cons- the concern I have is that, again, young guys, they're going to they're gonna study the film. They're going to try to find the weaknesses. Another concern I have, guys, is that you want the Russian cover partnership in this defense to work. And Monday night, we saw the coverage, but we didn't see much of a pass rush. We only saw the one sack from Jerry Atakshu and uh, Bradley Chubb still working his way back. And... I'm concerned about the pass rush and its ability to to force air to force the kind of errant throws that can help out young defensive backs that are still finding their way out there. So it's kind of the big picture that I'm concerned about of okay, how many injuries can you afford to absorb because you've already taken the hit in the pass rush without Von Miller and with Bradley Chubb still working his way back. Now you're going to take the hit in the secondary with AJ Boye not out there. At what at what point does it push you over the edge to where it causes real problems? Yeah, I mean, how many players do you lose where Vic can't fill a hole? And and I'm afraid that's kind of the territory that we're getting into because this is your highest paid cornerback. Uh, you lost already with Vaughn. You lost, obviously, your highest paid player on the entire team. Bradley Chubb, Vic Fangio admitted yesterday, he's still not where he is. How how much weaker? Mace, I completely agree. How much weaker can this defense be? And Vic continue to plug these holes. And, and I do think that, that it's a concern because A.J. Boye was playing incredibly well on, on Monday night before he got hurt. Now, his replacements came in and did very well. I'm just concerned of the next step that the Broncos are taking in their opponent going from Ryan Tannehill, where they're handing the ball off 31 times to Derrick Henry now to a team that may not have James Conner. So they may not be able to rely on their run game. So it may be more on Ben Roethlisberger's shoulders. Uh, And man, we know he can sling it around. So I'm, I like the depth, 
But just when you lose your top guy, that does give me a, a good amount of concern, especially then the week after you right. don't get to play Ryan Tannehill again. It's uh, it's an even better receiving core than you're playing this week. Uh, and of course with Tom. And yeah, that that's the thing with Tampa Bay. It's not just Tom Brady that you're talking about. It's if they can get Mike Evans healthy. Now he didn't look healthy on Sunday, even though he played, he had one catch for two yards, but it's Chris Godwin. It's OJ Howard. It's Rob Gronkowski. It's Cameron Bray. It's, it's getting into a pick your poison mode in terms of all the targets that the Bucks have. And so that's where this concern gets exponential. Another couple of guys that are going to, have to step up uh, are the safeties as well. To, and one of the reasons why Vic Fangio's defenses have been able to get by with less than a level cornerback talent over the years is because they've been stro- so strong at safety, both in Chicago and in Denver. So, the guys on the back end got to have better communication and better night than they did Monday. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to lean on those guys. And, yeah, you're right. Uh, the Tampa Bay one is a lot more daunting to me uh, than the Steelers team is. now. Again, the Steelers have players, and a lot of guys made plays for them in the passing game uh, in that Monday nighter. But <laughs> you're, you're going to be really hoping that somehow A.J. Boye can get back for that Tampa game because they're one of those teams where you do. You start looking, you're like, how many like how many guys do the, does this team have? How are you possibly supposed to cover all these guys, especially when you're down guys at the corner position? Well, if he goes on IR, you're talking about three weeks. So that would be the Steelers game, Bucks game, Jets game at a minimum. I don't. Has that been said yet that he's going on it? it, it every indication is that he is going on IR. I mean, we'll we'll see if it gets finalized over the course of the day. But that's that sounds like a direction the Broncos are leaning in. And if he doesn't go on IR, he could be week to he he could be week to week. I still don't based on what I'm hearing. I don't expect him back. Even if he doesn't go on IR, I don't expect him back for the Bucks game. And I would say the Jets game is probably a stretch. So I think realistically, what you're thinking is the Patriot game. Yeah, and especially the Jets game is uh, is a short week. So right. do you want to rush him back, or do you want to give him those extra ten days before you have the Patriots game? That's what that's what what I'm hearing as well. And here's the thing: is the Broncos don't really have to make a move now. They may wait a couple of days. Um, but if you want to bring Devontae Bosby up, then you would need to place uh, Boye on IR, or you could just frankly cut someone. But that's why you would do that. Or if you and this um, this means using one of the four opportunities to move a guy up or down. I mean, it's possible that and why you maybe you think, okay, let's not put AJ boy on, on IR. You could just sit, call Devonte Bosby up from the practice squad and have him be one of the four guys and then send him down. Now mm-hmm. you can do that. The waivers. You can do that. You can only do that twice with one player though, right. before they're exposed to waivers. So if you do think he's going to be out for three games, which is even less than three weeks from right now, I personally wouldn't mess around with that just because what if you need them later in the season for a game or two? Um, because I know someone could s- to scoop him now and they didn't even, uh, they didn't even put the safe uh, play on Bosby last week on the practice squad. They didn't even protect him. Uh, so maybe they just don't care if he gets scooped. Well, you're only concerned about uh, protecting him if you're going to bring him up. Cause the whole, the whole thing about it is, is being able to bring him up and then not have to send him back down. Right, right. When, right. Someone so, could when you have him, him now, on, though. Yeah, someone someone could scoop him in, unless he's one of those four. Someone could scoop him anytime. But you're also making this decision based on who you think you might need to call up and then send back down. The Broncos' relationship with Devontae Bosby is so weird to me. Like 
he, every time he plays, he makes plays. Uh, and uh, like, I feel like everyone else likes him more than Vic Fangio. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say the Broncos relationship or Vic Fangio's relationship. <laughs> but, but, but the fact that he's unprotected on the practice squad shows you that uh, like Elway might agree. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. I'll, you know, we've got many days before our uh, prediction pod here, but I'll just say it right now. My, my prediction is that uh, Bosby has an interception in the game on Sunday. Ooh, mm-hmm. wow. So not only does he jump to the active roster, I guess first, not only is he a protected practice squad player, he jumps to the active roster, then he jumps Devontae Harris because Devontae Harris got no snaps on Monday, and then he plays. And then, and then he gets jumps her out. Wow, I love it. I love that prediction. I mean, you figure that you're you're gonna have to play a mix of guys. If they don't play him, then I, you know, I guess I'll go I'll go back to uh, to having to trust in Vic Fangio's eyes. But uh, yeah, I think like you said, jumps jumps to the roster, jumps onto the field, jumps her out. I love it. I love it. Hey, man, if anyone on this in this cornerback room could do that. I mean, that that's the guy that I would put the best odds on. 100%. And it's crazy because he's on the practice squad. <laughs> <laughs> well, inter- interesting stat, guys. Ben Roethlisberger has thrown at least one interception in every regular season game he's played against the Broncos over the years. Mm. Not the postseason, unfortunately. And uh, let's try to forget that the 2005 AFC Championship game ever happened. But in the, regular, how, in the regular season, he has. That's so long ago. That's what I was going to say. How crazy is that? Like, think about that team of Broncos. Yeah. And think about all of the guys who are on that team. And imagine someone on that team being on the current team. It's, like, incomprehensible. And yet, this 15 years after that game, you're facing the same guy at quarterback. Well, Just think about how many quarterback. quarterbacks the Broncos have had since then. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Plummer, Cutler, Orton, Orton Tebow, Tebow, Chris Sims. Don't forget that he uh, made yeah. a, he made a start. Uh, it, I wish I could forget that. Peyton Manning, Brock Osweiler, and then you get to the carousel. Do 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 do. do Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, <sighs> back Case to Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, and finally Drew Locke. But hey, if when you find <laughs> that, that guy, insane. he's somebody that can connect the connect the eras. Of course, it also shows you that quarterback, if you keep him upright, just how long he can last. And then my mind drifts to, oh God, we might be talking about Patrick Mahomes against the Chiefs in 2033. Oh <laughs> gosh. But it's, it's just it's so crazy. Oh, 2035 in this comparison. Yes. Uh, and it's like you think about like Champ Bailey. Okay, he's a guy who was out there in that 2005 game. Not only is he done with his career, he's already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so is uh, Jerome Bettis played in that game, and uh, and he's a and he's a Hall of Famer. And uh, Heinz Ward is already somebody who's uh, been a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Just and it's. It's crazy. I mean, and it's from another time almost as well. Uh, Really a different era of football compared to what we watch now. I was just going to say, like, when I think of Jerome Bettis, I imagine like NFL films music playing under like a grainy slow motion run. And (laughs) (laughs) like those two played together. It's just crazy. Um, And and, and also you think about Mike Shanahan. I mean, that, that era ended 
since then. Then he went somewhere else. Then he he came back, and the relationship has been mended all in that time. <laughs> oh man! I, I mean, and all. I mean, I'm just looking at this: John Lynch, Champ Bailey, Tom Nalen, Rod Smith, Mike Shanahan coaching, Jason Elam kicking. So literally six Ring of Famers. Wow! Can, can we figure out that game? <laughs> can we figure out the the person who played in that game other than Ben Roethlisberger, who's the last one still standing in the league? I bet I, I know there's probably none other than Ben, but who who stick around the longest? Yeah, that, that that's a good question. So, did, does this guy, guys? Does this mean that Ben Roethlisberger is experienced and polished coming up against the Broncos in Week Two, or does this mean? He's old and washed up. He's he's not washed uh, quite yet. Now, in terms of getting pressure on him, he's not the same guy that he used to be. Like there was a time when he was simply unsackable, uh, and he's not that anymore. He still has you know that in that frame uh, that is just an absolute statue in the right way back there. But now he's also a statue in the wrong way where you can definitely knock him down if you get there and you can get pressure on him and he's not going to evade much with his feet. So the challenge here for the Broncos, and and, I, and it's almost so obvious now that you're going to have corner problems, uh, at least injury problems at corner, it's so obvious how important it is to get pressure in this game. Uh, and I think, you know, for Vic Fangio, it almost makes his job easier. Like, you know that you're thin at corner. Um, you, you know that he can't move. You have no choice but to bring pressure as much as you possibly can in this game. So with that, that means kind of leaving these young, inexperienced cornerbacks on their own with yep. obviously the hope that Ben doesn't have the ball for five seconds back there so they don't have to cover the route twice. So why that instead of the opposite of saying, Crossing my fingers, I hope Bradley Chubb can be good and Jarrell Casey can get there, but we're dropping uh, Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell back in coverage to help these guys. Because you just said those guys' names. It's Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell. We're mm -hmm. not talking about guys who you know, are going to help you very much in coverage. Now, I will say, I think it was the first third down snap for the Titans. The Broncos brought out six defensive backs, uh, and they got some pressure up front and they got to stop. Uh, and there is something to be said for that it, it, as, as an idea too. To me, Ben is, is still, he's still got that, you know, pinpoint accuracy, he's still got such great touch uh, that he's still going to find ways to beat you unless you make him, you know, sit on his back most of the night. And even though he's slow, he still feels the pass rush well. And that's one of the things that's always been innate about him is his ability to sense when pressure was is coming and just do one step forward or one step back or a couple of little, little shuffle to the side because he just has the, he has that awareness. And then you compare uh, with like Ryan Tannehill on Monday night who uh, gets hit and he's lucky he brings the ball in because it looks like he doesn't even sense contact coming until until it's right there on him. So that's that's the other thing you have to deal with Roethlisberger. He has he all he's always had that preternatural feel for a pass rush that renders it ineffective, even though he's a relatively stationary target back there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things that pretty much all of the greats have. Yeah, uh, it's just that internal clock, that that sixth sense 
that pressure's there. Man, quickly on on that sack that you just mentioned. So early in the game, Atachu goes for the ball yeah. and doesn't get it. And somehow Tannehill gets the ball off and escapes the sack. Then later, Atachu comes completely blindsided. And he, I was just like, just grab one of his arms. You don't like you can still tackle him. You don't even have to strip it. But you saw on the replay, he got hit. The ball came out of his hands because he wasn't expecting it. But both of his hands were there. So he just caught it again. I was just like, oh, Jerry, just take that left arm as you're tackling him and just rip it away. It almost looked like the contact guided the arm with the ball toward the other hand to secure it. Lucky. It was just, it, uh, I mean, when, when that hit happened at first, I'm like, that, that ball's got to come out, right? Yeah. I mean, Everyone yeah. at the bar was saying, if that's Von Miller, that ball's out. And <laughs> well, despite how great I thought Atachi played, I kind of agreed with that one. If it's Shaq Barrett, that ball comes out too. He was yeah. also really good at that. It's true. Okay, uh, one other note here uh, from a news perspective that I saw coming in from Mike Kliss. Um, he said Philip Lindsay's waiting on a second opinion, uh, but given turf toe and running back position, don't be surprised if he's out past a week or two. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that one sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. And John Elway is probably saying this is exactly why we went out and paid $8 million. Now, I'm not saying that that's right. But that, that's what John Elway's saying right now. And guys, I mean, this is a very good day to be thankful for Melvin Gordon uh, because while we liked what we saw from Royce Freeman in training camp, boy, if you were without Philip Lindsay and you didn't have Melvin Gordon, then everything is on Drew Locke's shoulders. And we know that it's going to take some time, especially without Cortland Sutton, which may be the case again this week. Man, it's, it's a good day to be thankful that John spent $8 million on Melvin Gordon. Yeah, and uh, I hung on to Royce Freeman, who who did reasonably well in a short burst, and uh, maybe we see a little Levante Bellamy this week. I was going to ask you, what do you think of the idea of using Levante Bellamy in some of the same ways that you used Phil in the combination of having two backs out on the field? Is it is do you still feel like that's a dangerous combo, or do you go more back to hey, if we're going to have you know guys on the field, we want to have. Uh, more receivers now because that gives us a better chance. Well, if they gave Deontay Spencer a few snaps last week, as, as they did, there's room to give Levante, Levante Bellamy a few snaps as well, uh, find some packages that, that work for him. Now, that being said, you're not going to want to play him very often, and because he is a long way from being effective in pass pro, you're putting him out there just to provide some speed and just to provide a, a change of pace. But yeah. Th- yeah. that's it. Levante Bellamy in in a year or two, or even maybe a couple of weeks, maybe you do that, but it's not going to be anything the the same what they did on Monday night. I mean, you open the game with pretty much your first series being those two guys on the field being creative. You're not going to do that. What I would be interested in, does this bring Albert Okuebunam up and give him a jersey so that you just have another weapon on the field? I know obviously he wouldn't be a running back, but maybe he's a guy you could line up at tight end uh, and, and do some, or, or I'm sorry, at fullback and do some creative things with him out of the backfield. Mm, I like that idea. Mm. Um, it sounds creative. And uh, until I see them get boring, I'm going to give Pat Schirmer the uh, benefit of the doubt that he will be creative in those ways. Um, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday and 
this is a this is a tough one to swallow. I think one of John Elway's big philosophies in building this particular team was doubling down on strengths. Uh, you brought in Bradley Chubb to add with Vaughn Miller and double down on your outside linebackers. You brought in Melvin Gordon to pair with Philip Lindsay to double down on your strength at running back. You brought in Jerry Judy to go along with Cortland Sutton to double down on your strength at wide receiver. And in week one, you had just one of those combos for half of the game. It's just, it's, it's, that's, that's just so painful that basically what I think was, was John Elway's main, you know, objective here is to build dominant units. And the only one you had out there in terms of dominant units was the safety group. Uh, and they, and they weren't even constructed in the same way as some of the other ones. Uh, but, the safety group also didn't have a great game. It's just uh, it's a, it's a shame that you didn't get to see the full force of those dominant units that John Elway has created. Yeah, it, it, it's really true. And how, how long will it be until we get to see those dominant groups and especially see those dominant groups play well together? That, uh, that may be the key to whether it really is a, a slow 0-3 start or whether they get clicking soon. Yep, absolutely. All right, you guys got anything else here for the live portion? I think that's it. I think right. we nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I think my, my my dog is at my door. One of my dogs is at my door, so obviously sick of being ignored here. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take this over to the podcast format for the comment section. Uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in to this live portion. Uh, shout out to everyone who's listening on YouTube. Hit us with a thumbs up. Hit us with a subscribe. There's a little bell next to subscribe. You can get a notification anytime uh, we drop some new content on here. And, of course, if you're listening on the podcast format, we appreciate all reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, We've been getting some great ones recently, so thanks to everyone who's been doing that. But for this live portion, that's going to wrap it up. If you're listening on the podcast, well, you won't notice any break. All right, before we move along, a quick shout-out to Breckenridge Brewery. Oh, man. Let me tell you, there were a lot of Breck brews consumed uh, before, during, and especially after that Denver Nuggets win last night at the DNVR bar. Um, what just an incredible moment at the bar. And, you know, it's such a, it's such a shame that um, fans can't be at the stadium. But to have our, our little slice uh, of a stadium in the DNVR bar, everyone – uh, drinking Breck brews and cheers and, you know, socially distanced cheers across the bar to each other was a, uh, was pretty special. I'm glad there was somewhere where we could have a little semblance of community for what is quite arguably the best game in Nuggets history. It's so true. It is so crazy. Just how impactful that game was. Yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. And um, it, it, it was made better by Breckenridge Brewery as they always uh, enhance your experience whenever you're having a few Breck brews. So make sure wherever you get beers, you see if they have some Breck brews there. And if they don't, you can always use the Breck Brew locator to find out where you might be able to get your hands on some of those damn good beers. And uh, when you're at the DNVR bar, make sure to check out the DNVR rugby coverage because we're not just call out covering Colorado rugby. We're covering all American rugby at the DNVR.com. So check out 
the DNVR Rugby Podcast. Colton Strickler, our reporter, does a great job breaking down the game, breaking down everything that's going on in this environment right now with the world of rugby. And also make sure to check him out on Twitter, DNVR Rugby, and also, of course, on the DNVR.com. Check out the rugby coverage there. What I like so much about the rugby coverage is Colton does a great job of breaking down the game for you, but then also explaining it, t- taking a deep dive uh, for, for the sophisticated rugby listeners and followers out there. So I just love how he balances that. So make sure to check out the DNVR.com to check out our rugby coverage. All right, let's jump into the questions from the listeners. First one here comes in from Lock the Casbah. Am I, am I right on that, you guys? Nailed it. Okay. Uh, he says, this loss is heartbreaking. I know we talk about how Von Miller being out for the season will likely cost us a game, and it looks like it already did. What's worse is this is a game where just having Sutton back probably means we win it. And just having Boye back by itself probably means we win it. That's so frustrating. If we've already lost a game in week one that we might have won, not for losing Vaughn. What happens if we lose another two because Vaughn is out? Not unreasonable. I should say there's lots of good here to hang our heads on, but still. Secondly, we're now out three Pro Bowlers and a Super Bowl MVP slash first ballot Hall of Famer who are all starters. I don't think there's another team in the league wherein the caliber of players they have injured is comparable. Can you guys think of any? Well, if you throw in first ballot Hall of Famer into that, mm, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's really tough. Um, are you guys already to the point of saying this is a development year and kind of tossing the towel in because of the injuries? Because I know I've seen that a lot on Twitter so far, saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, we're shift, kind of shifting our sights on what this season is. No longer about uh, winning. It's just about developing these young guys because of all the injuries. I, I Hell no. Yeah, I think I think it's crazy after one game. You know what, though? I've got two takes on this. It's kind of a win-win scenario for the Broncos. Um, and I think people are uh, reaching for the cop-out plug a little too early here. But it's one of those things where the Broncos should be expecting to win every game and competing in every game as if they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. At the same time, if you have games like you did on Monday night, where Drew Locke plays well, uh, you know, Asang Bassey's out there making plays, Michael Ojemudia is getting better, Jerry Judy is having learning moments while also having flashes. Like, you can, you can just come out on Monday and be like, okay, the Broncos grew in that game. Uh, and in the long-term goal, that's, that's what you need. You need to grow in every game. So I'm not at all throwing in the towel this year, but I do like the fact that there's a – there's two sides to every game. What you can't have is like blowout losses where everyone looks bad uh, and, you know, you feel bad. But th- there's, uh, there's two sides to every game here, and, and you can find silver linings and losses. Yeah, and, and, and I agree, but you're not, you're not there yet. You're not throwing in the towel by any means. Uh, but as long as Drew plays well this year, then you're feeling good about next year. Absolutely. I would even say maybe that's more important than – the win-loss total at the end of the year is finding out whether Drew Locke is the guy. I mean, what is a what is a more valuable season long-term for the Broncos? Seven and nine, but finding out that Drew Locke can be your quarterback for the next 12 to 14 years, or nine and seven, but Drew Locke isn't the guy. Well, as we talked about in the first segment, if, uh, if Drew Locke turns out to be the guy, then the Pittsburgh Steelers in 15 years will be saying, 
Do you can you believe that Drew Locke is still playing? I mean, gosh, we had Ben Roethlisberger as our quarterback the last time he was playing, and then they're going to go and list fifteen quarterbacks that they've had be their starter since. It's so fun. Can you imagine an old Drew Locke, like even what he would look like? like he, no. he has such a young face that I can't even imagine what old Drew Locke looks like. It, old Drew Locke will just look like 24 years old. It's probably true. Um, I, you know, I'm of the belief, to answer your question, Mace, obviously you want the seven and nine and Drew Locke's the guy, but I, I don't really think I'm uh, Drew Locke's already the guy in my opinion. So like, it's just about getting him ready uh, to eventually try to go compete for a championship. And uh, that's what this is about for me is it's about Drew learning um, and, and just getting better every game because he's, he's probably not and the Broncos probably aren't ready to go compete for a championship this year. It's all about just getting closer to that in my opinion. Of course, that being said, if they're not competing for championships at some point, then Drew Locke isn't going to be the quarterback for the next 12 to 14 years. So, that's and that's the question can he can he reach that level can he can he elevate everyone around him can he and that's you know that I think there are there, there are still he's gotten the team better no doubt since he came into the lineup but there are still questions about about the whole package the whole picture and that's that's what this year is finding out I mean right now he is the starting quarterback being being the guy the long-term guy there's there's still some work to do in my that's- opinion Next one coming in from Broncos Squared says, my boys, I got to admit this to you. I'm a diehard Blazers fan, and I can't thank the Nuggets enough for the epic beatdown they just put on the Clippers. I hope you all saw CJ McCollum and Dame's tweets after the game. Holy hell, Pandemic P sucked a fat one as always. Oh, my Lord. I can't contain my love of the Nuggets right now. Let's go, Nuggets. Go upset Braun and the Lakers. I'm all in. Sorry, this isn't Broncos related. And sorry, this is so scatterbrained. Twitter is burning the flippers alive, and it's comedy gold. Oh, it was pretty darn great. It was pretty darn great. I wish I've, I, I, maybe I actually just saved it to my camera roll. There was a picture that someone put out there. Did I keep it? There it is. I got to tweet that. Um, that uh, it was. Uh, Dame waving bye to the Clippers, but they photoshopped it terribly to make it Nikola Jokic, and I just love it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, man, that was awesome. And I forget who said it first, but someone turned playoff P into way off P. uh, (laughs) He certainly was, especially at the end. Way off last night. (laughs) Gosh, that was great. I just, uh, you know, this is Bronco Square Fall. I could talk about this game all day. Uh, <laughs> it was just like it, it was a reinforcement of doing things the right way and a punishment for the Clippers for doing things the wrong way. You can't just grab a bunch of mercenaries and bring them together and buy a championship. Um, or maybe you can, but at least they could. <laughs> yeah, you can. Not maybe not this year. <laughs> hey. Not this time, baby. Even the Miami Heat had to lose to the Mavs in the finals. It's, it's, all, it's almost like you can try to microwave it as much as you can, but you've still got to have some adversity. You've got to have some defeats. You've got to have something go wrong before you can be on the path to a title. And you could say that the Nuggets, with this core last year, they've 
had they had part of the growing experience coming in that loss in seven to Portland. Well, no, yeah. yeah, yeah, and now the the Nuggets get to prove that again because the Lakers are another team that yeah. has done just what the Clippers did. And obviously, they have kind of more of a year under their belt with LeBron, but first year with AD. So Nuggets get to show that you know homegrown is better than store bought again. Yeah, but at the same time with uh, LeBron, did they go to the playoffs last year? Of course not. So Yeah, they had to wait. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a shirt uh, at the DNVR locker that says, we don't skip steps, and, and I just it's so perfect for this. The Clippers tried to skip all the steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Nuggets didn't skip any steps, and uh, it's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. Bangkok Bronco chiming in. Hi, gents. I fully intended to mention the Nuggets today, but Bronco Squared covered everything already. So – I don't have much to say on that front apart than we ain't gone fishing yet. I <laughs> love it. Mm-hmm. So to switch back to the Broncos, look, we all know the Steelers D is strong this year, and we're potentially missing Phil Cortland and KJ for this game. Of course, we also have a strong defense, but what's the offensive formula for the Broncos to win on Sunday? 20-plus rushes for Melvin, big shots downfield to, to Judy, 10-plus targets for Fant, how do we go about winning this game offensively so we don't have to rely on our defense to hold them to 14 points or less to stand a chance? Thanks, guys. BB out. P.S. Big fan of RK's sporadic appearances in the Nuggets Winners Lounge. Play that funky music. I don't know if it's 20-plus rushes from Melvin Gordon, but I'd like to see him over 100 yards from scrimmage. A shot downfield to Judy, that, that, that's another good one. And also, But Noah Fant's a great point because I'm sorry. I don't buy the explanations as to, or the non-explanations as to why Noah Fant was abandoned in the second half. When in the first half he had 81 yards on five receptions. I think you fire it to Noah Fant. You until opponents figure out a way to stop him on those swing passes in the flat. So Mace, why don't you buy it? And and the explanation that that Noah Fant when I asked him what he said after the yeah. game was. That just they changed their their offensive yeah. game plan. Pat Shermer changed the game plan to go away from Noah Fant. And and Vic talking about oh we you know we we were we were going three and out. We didn't have opportunities. They they did. They just cho- they they chose not to. And I don't understand why you would go away from something that was working until the opponent had had figured it out. Then you uh, then you adjust. But you you might you know if the mine is still yielding gold. You keep going down there and picking at it until until there's nothing left. Yeah, and I totally agree. So I, I actually buy the, the reasoning from Noah Fant why he didn't get yeah. the balls because they didn't throw to him. He was five yeah. for five in the first half. He had one target in the second half. If you're only going to give a guy one chance and then write him off, well, then you wouldn't have gone back to Jerry Judy a second time. Uh, and it, you just give guys more than one chance. Yeah, and, and the other thing with Noah Fant is – it partners him going into the flat and catching that little swing pass. It partners so well with Drew Locke getting outside of the pocket, which is something I think you need to see more of. And if you're going to help Drew Locke continue to develop, because when he rolls out, especially when he rolls to the right, he is more effective. And I know you want to develop him into a pocket passer in time, but let that happen gradually. And right now, let him do the things that he does best. And rolling out and firing a short pass to Noah Fant is, is right up there among the things that, that works for him, works for this offense, gives everybody confidence. 
Yeah, absolutely. As for my answer to the question what the formula for the Broncos to win is, I think to me it comes down to Drew Locke hitting at least one deep ball uh, and maybe one other big play. They're going to have to um, create some some big-time offense. I think if you're trying to go blow for blow with the Steelers' offense, it's going to be difficult to stick with them. Obviously, you're hoping that the defense holds things down for you. But I think you're going to have to have some game breakers to make things easier on this offense because we know that that Steelers' defense is legit. I don't know if you're going to be able to dink and dunk your way through them. I think you're going to have to uh, to microwave some offense. And you can't do what the Giants weren't able to do last week. And you can't run for like 12 yards or something and put everything on Drew Locke's back because it's not just that Drew Locke's young and, you know, you may not have Corton Sutton and all of that. No, it's that they have T.J. Watt. And even if he's going up against now the great Garrett Bowles, uh, it, it's still going to be tough. And if he's on the other side against Elijah Wilkinson, you just you can't do that to Drew Locke at all. Yeah, and, and Bud Dupree was an absolute beast yeah. in the game against the Giants. I, I'm curious what the Steelers are going to think. Um, it'll be interesting to show what – it'll tell you what they think of the comparison between da, uh, Daniel Jones and Drew Locke based on how they, uh, they approached that because they disrespected Daniel Jones. They said, we're going to take away the run, and we are convinced you cannot beat us. And they were completely right about it. If they, it'll be interesting if they take that same game plan uh, into this game against Drew Locke, because I think Drew Locke can beat teams who say all we have to do is take away the run. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's just it's going to be tough though if it, if it's Tim Patrick and Jerry Judy. Even though I do love Jerry Judy, now here here's also speaking of not abandoning things from the Broncos' offense just after one shot. You, you got it. Deep balls don't hit every time. You know, they hit, what, less than 50% of the time? So you can't just do two in the game, which is what I believe they did on Monday. Say, ah, it's not working. Let's not do it again. No, you got to go shot after shot. That's also going to help your running game because it's going to make the Steelers back up. Even if you're not hitting them, just the threat of that will at least help your running game a little bit. And also play four down football there to maximize the opportunities. And what I mean by that is go in and say, all right, if we're at midfield and we're in fourth and two, we're going to go for it. So say you've got second and second and five, then you've got the assumption that you have three plays to make the necessary yardage to move the chains. So why not take a deep shot? Kind of work, kind of work those opportunities in. It's you know, the idea of, of thinking in terms of, oh, we're going to go for it on fourth down if we have four and sh- fourth and short. It's had some success at some levels. Uh, I know at Army, that's the philosophy they have offensively. And that creates excuses and opportunities to go deep and take those shots a bit more often than you might otherwise if, you, if you're sitting at second and four thinking, okay, we got three plays to get these, these yards and not two plays to get these yards. So take one of those deep shots and open, and open things up, and eventually you're going to hit a couple of them. Next one's from Thick Fangio. Confession time. My annual sub ran out about a month ago, and I've been lurking for a while, but as evidenced by this comment, you got me for another year. Got him. Got him. I guess got for him. a lot of people, uh, I guess a lot of people missed the 76 times the announcers mentioned that this is the youngest offense in the NFL. Mistakes are going to happen, just like we've all made mistakes in the early days of our job. 
you like to see them get it out in preseason, but we uh, didn't have that luxury this season. We've got a head coach in his second year and such. QB in his sixth start and several rookies starting. What's important is that they learn and grow from it, and I think Vic, Drew, and Jerry are the kind of people with that mentality. I'm not too worried about this team just yet. Yeah, and that's the right approach to take. Look, I, I knew it was going to be a slow start for the Broncos, specifically the offense. Uh, didn't really know that there'd be the game management issues, but Vic is young. So if you're going to give the, wait, the wait. learning curve, what? I, I know I know what you mean, that Vic is young as a head coach, but he just said Vic is young. Well, at, as a head coach, you knew, you knew what I meant. Oh, my uh, God. It, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's, he's, he's going to, to make mistakes as well. Now, the biggest thing, just like for the offense, is don't make that mistake again. And that's why it's going to be so key that the Broncos have something different with their game management for this week. Yeah, absolutely. Next one's from Jay Harrison, 16. Hey, guys, I have a few questions and observations from the loss. Does Drew Locke not have any ability to make checks at the line of scrimmage? Felt like the entire half he never called out any blitzes or audibles. Uh, I didn't notice that, but uh, he definitely does have the ability to do that. Yeah, and you're curious how much flexibility there is with, with Pat Shermer's offense. Especially right. in, in first first game as well. Maybe first game, not having preseason, not having OTAs, uh, maybe that ability is limited just because of the, the work the Broncos have not been able to get into this point. He goes on, how come every single team we played against when Vaughn was healthy, they at least had a tight end or wide receiver chip in, but when it comes to putting Elijah Wilkinson one-on-one, we just tell him good luck. I feel like nothing gets done and there are options. You know, this is something we talked about right when the Broncos hired Pat Shermer. We were actually talking about it in regards to Garrett Bowles at the time, but we said Pat Shermer doesn't like to help his tackles. Uh, he likes a lot of three wide receiver sets, with, which even with the Broncos down, arguably two of their top three receivers, uh, they still went three wide more than any other formation that they brought out there. So uh, I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's the way Pat Shermer believes in it. He believes those tackles got to go out there and, uh, and, uh, and earn their checks. Boy, and you, you hope that this week he gives a little more help, whether it's with Melvin, whether it's with those tight ends, just because going up against this pass rush, don't leave your tackles out there to dry. Yeah, we'll see. That'll be interesting. If there's ever a team that you need to help out your tackles against, it's probably, uh, it's probably this one. Mm-hmm. Three's for Mr. B. Four, how, does Drew Lock, how do Drew Locke and Judy not have more chemistry? Nobody can guard that man. Maybe the coaches need to force Drew to look that way more in practice. Would it be fair to say that Drew has better chemistry with Cortland? That Cortland has to be that much better. Either way, I'm excited to get him back. No chemistry. You can't. You can't make up chemistry. Just look at the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, you ha- <laughs> chemistry takes time. You have to build chemistry. It can't. It can't just be there. It has to happen. And to be completely honest, I hate that I'm saying this, but the drops don't help the chemistry. You. You don't want a quarterback in the back of his head ever thinking that the wide receiver might drop it even if he's open. I don't think it's you know anything to worry about now, but it definitely it doesn't help the process move forward any faster. But again, chemistry is created with time. There's a reason Drew and Cortland have better chemistry. They've been together longer. Yeah, and there's a difference between talent and chemistry. Talent you you have. Jerry Judy has the talent, but chemistry takes time. So. No, not worried about that at all. And the chemistry between Drew and Cortland is way better 
than the chemistry between Drew and Drew and Jerry Judy right now. It's very evident all throughout camp. Yeah, I mean, you start with the fact that they had five games together last year, and they had practices last year. So it's just they're at a different point in the process. And uh, I recall Peyton Manning talking when he first came to Denver about saying, hey, it takes a really a year to get on the same page with your receivers in the way that you want to be. So just be patient. It's going to come. It's going to take – it's just – it's a little bit behind the chemistry with uh, Cortland. So Drew and Jerry are going to figure it out, but don't expect it right away. And it's okay. Yep. Last one, he says, we cannot stop late game drives. How do we figure that out? Our defense the last couple of years, I feel like, has never stopped an opponent with the opportunity of a game-winning field goal drive. What can we do to get better at that? Is it a system thing or is it just bad play calling? Thanks, guys. Appreciate everything you do for us. It gets me through my work day, and I look forward to listening to the pod every morning. You know, one thing I will say is that you shouldn't put your defense in a position that they have to stop a team from getting a field goal. It's really difficult late in the game to stop a team from getting like 30 yards uh, or maybe 40 yards, depending on which kicker they have uh, and where their field position is uh, to win the game. And even if it's, you know, just getting across the 50, it's just it's a really difficult thing to do. You know, you can, it's, it's a lot easier to stop touchdown drives at the end of the game than it is to stop field goal drives. With that being said, I don't know what it is because they used to be able to, they used to be able to do it. Wade Phillips defense has had a great knack for doing it. And maybe it's just that they had better personnel, but uh, they got to figure it out because they're, they're not making the big play to win the game uh, that you need from your defense in those situations, especially when you have the highest paid defense in, in the NFL. Well, you, since Vic Fangio came in, you've had nine games in which the Broncos were leading by seven or fewer points and had the, oppor- and had the opportunity to, to stop the opponent. And in seven of those nine games, the opponent was able to score uh, either a touchdown or a field goal. Now, the Broncos, you know, they managed to, they managed to beat the Chargers, even though the Chargers drove to a field goal last year. And they beat the Raiders because Shelby Harris stopped the two-point conversion. But still, I mean, that's seven times in nine games, the exceptions being against the Chargers in week five and against the Browns in week nine of last year. I mean, that, that's a disturbing pattern that, that, if, that 78% of the time, they're going to be able to get what they need at some point. Of course, there were a couple of games there, including Monday night, where the offense didn't help as well because there was a stop and then the offense went, went three and out and gave another opportunity. I thought the formula, though, was you just needed a lead. And then, you know, Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, the pass rush can, can tee off. Wasn't that the formula? I didn't think you needed, like, a nine-point lead. Yeah, I know. that The formula, Zach Vance Joseph was over there. <laughs> Vance Joseph was over there stirring the pot. He's like, this is the, this is the recipe, baby. Let's go. And somehow they still weren't able to get it done. Uh, hey, for- just because you work on a recipe doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it ends up tasting very good. You can, you know, you get this new, like my wife once tried this recipe for a beer cheese soup. And uh, I was very Throwing confident. the wife under the bus. No, the <laughs> no it was. I was very complimentary of it. I'm like, oh, this isn't bad. And then finally she said she didn't like it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it tastes like wet socks. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but I, I, let, but I, I put on a brave face for a while. And then when, you know, when the chef, him or herself, says, okay, this is bad, that's the license to, like, say, all right, yeah, you know, it wasn't that good. <laughs> 
See, I, I do a lot of the cooking in this house and I will say I, uh, I rarely miss, but there's been times where yes. I'm like, this is trash. And, and Allie's still like, no, it's really good. I promise. I actually like it. I'm like, no, stop. This is garbage. <laughs> stop eating it. Like, let's go get some food somewhere. Oh, oh, grumpy pancake. Top of the morning, lad. Something I don't think has been brought up enough is the silly Josie Jewel penalty where he literally grabbed Henry by the helmet and ripped it off. That honestly peeved me more than a lot of the other mistakes Denver made. Jewel, for the most part, had a decent game, but that was unacceptable i mean they disqualify the titans dude from throwing a wimpy punch that barely connected and jewel gets off scot free with only a penalty for doing something that could have caused a broken neck or a concussion if the dude gets hit without his helmet i don't know maybe i'm overreacting but that really ground my gears all right all right hold on here really First quick that, all, that wasn't derrick henry right no it was mcnichols who former yeah, Bronco, Jeremy, Jeremy. yeah um I feel like the uh, the commenters are usually spot on. I feel like the commenters are a little off today. Um, <laughs> Haven't had their Strava or what? Yeah, okay. That was not on purpose by Josie Jewell. And what hasn't been discussed a lot is he, he got blocked in the back, which caused him to do that. Like, he was just trying to get the stop. He put his arm out. He got shoved in the back. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have grabbed the helmet, but at that point, it's just instinct. Um, he definitely was not trying to hurt McNichols. And he got fa- fouled, I'm putting that in air quotes, that caused him to do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. And, and it's not Josie Jewell's fault that the referees didn't stop the game fast enough after the dude's helmet got ripped off because that's what they're supposed to do. As soon as someone's helmet comes off, the play is dead then and there. Yeah, it was it was a right call. All of those things were the right call. Josie should have got flagged for it. He shouldn't have got kicked out because it wasn't intentional. But throwing a punch, well, first off, I don't know why in the world you'd punch someone who's wearing a helmet. But then that's your choice. He he chose to do that, and uh, that's very very unnecessary. Yeah, they tell me don't close your fist. I mean that that's the thing. You close the fist, and you're right, Zach. Why why you do it in a helmet? It's not smart. But then again. When you're being gripped by emotions, you do things that aren't smart. But, yeah, I mean, they got that call right. They got the Josie Jewell call right. It, it is what it is. I mean, and I, would, and I know Vic Fangio disagrees, but I think what Alexander Johnson did was a very textbook example of unnecessary roughness, especially in how it's being perceived in today's game. Yeah, just yeah. don't do it. The yeah. only call that they didn't get right is the fact that Josie Jewell was blocked in, in the back. Yeah, <laughs> but they but they, it's interesting did you see the stat about how there were only 15 holding penalties that were called this week compared to 64 in week one of last year and i believe the number was in the 50s or in 40s and in previous years for week one so i think in terms of gameplay they were and obviously the opi for michael gallup goes against this but overall in terms of gameplay they were swallowing the whistles on some things Totally. Anyway, Grumpy Pancake continues. Not worry about Judy's drops. His footwork was so pretty on his routes. Holy cow. Also, despite the loss, I felt such a different vibe with this team than from last season. Instead of bored, old, statue man Flacco with uninspired offense, we had a team that actually tried different things, got creative in the first half at least, and was exciting to watch as a whole. And even with the misses on the deep throws, hell, it just felt good to actually see deep throws being made as opposed to last year. Just a few tweaks, and I'm confident we can write the ship to at least a 9-7 and record. Let's stay positive and be ready for the postgame celebrations when we defeat Pittsburgh 
27-21, calling it. Thank you, dudes, for being so cool and funny and hip. Enjoy your Wednesday. Much love, Colin. Yeah, I love it, Grumpy Panky. You're not really sounding grumpy, though, with this. I love the positivity you're bringing. And, uh, yeah, the, the Broncos are they're showing progress from last year in the coaching, uh, at least on the offensive coaching for the first half. I just want to see it for a full game. Is that too much to ask for, guys? I, I don't I think agree. it's too much to ask for, although I'll say this. Colin's saying that uh, we're hip. I'm thinking of uh, Dr. Evil trying to do the Macarena. I'm with it. I'm hip. Tick, 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 tick. <laughs> I was saying, I was going to say, like, put that on my tombstone. Here lies RK. Funny, cool, and hip. All, all we've ever wanted to be. <laughs> From Threat Level Midnight, looking at only positives today. I like this. Patrick Mahomes against a weaker defense than Tennessee went 24 of 32 for 211 yards, 8.8 yards per attempt, with a long of 19 and a rating of 123. Drew Locke was a 22 of 33 for 216, 9.8 yards per catch with a long of 31 and a rating of 95. Drew is the truth, and we haven't seen his best yet. People are forgetting that he has a new OC, didn't have a full offseason, and doesn't, didn't have Supreme Court. The kid is going to be fine this season. And it's going to be so fun to watch. If Judy just catches those drops, we aren't even having this conversation. I'm excited for this team, regardless of a week one loss. I'm with you every step of the way there, threat level midnight. Drew I like Locke the, is yeah. better than Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> whoa, Except whoa, whoa, the whoa. touchdowns and the passer <laughs> rating. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that, uh, that, that Tennessee, that uh, T- Houston was playing heavy against the pass. And so the dangerous thing about the Chiefs is that they found an outstanding running game with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. The other, I, 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 the other thing is this I don't think we have to talk about Patrick Mahomes to say that Drew Locke <laughs> is doing well. I think that's an unreasonable standard. I think we should just. No, I know it's he's just chop that off right then and there. If that's the I know he wasn't trying to say he's better, but he makes I a know. good point. Yeah. Drew uh, was comparably efficient uh, in that game, and you know everyone's falling all over themselves to compliment Patrick Mahomes because their running game got the job done, and they're mm-hmm. playing a weaker team. Uh, but I thought, I mean, I've said it before this, but I thought Drew played more than well enough for the Broncos to win that game. He did. Now I. The, I think we can say he had three passes that should have been caught. The Judy drops, the pass that went off Butts hands also had a couple of passes that could have easily been picked off. I think you can, you can say that drew lock is making progress and also make note of both of those things that would have uh, changed that would have changed the stat line at least, but in general, the positives outweigh the negatives and the touchdown pass to Noah Fant, you get to, Tip the cat, cap to Drew Locke for getting Noah Fant in position to make that catch. That's the kind of awareness and ability to, to, to roll out, to be mobile, to look downfield, to get the, the receiving target in position. That's the sort of multitasking that a great quarterback has to be able to do, and he did. Really, yeah, really quick, it, though, just to, to, be, to be straight with this, Patrick Mahomes, I believe, had three touchdown passes. Drew had one. Drew had two opportunities where he had a guy open in the end zone. If he makes those, then we're not talking about this. Um, So did Drew do enough to win the game? Yes, he absolutely did. Did he have a good game? I personally think he had a good game. But hitting those last things is what takes you to that elite level. And literally, if Drew would have had those two touchdowns or even one, then he would have had the exact same stat line, including passer rating as Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's true. And and that's the difference between Drew Locke and Patrick Mahomes. And there's – Supposed to be a difference between Drew Locke and Patrick Mahomes at this stage of his career. He's got to find a way to get there. Um, 
or get close as close as he's you know humanly capable of um the, uh, but but I do think he played well enough to win and it really uh, unfortunately because uh, you know we love Jerry Judy so much it comes down to a perfect throw that he put directly on the numbers of Jerry Judy couldn't have been any more accurate than it was and, and unfortunately he dropped it I really do believe if they move the chains there they win that football game so um it, it sucks uh, but you're right you make the throw to Vanette you make the throw to Hamilton now you're, you're talking about a 120-something passer rating. You're talking about Drew Locke winning the game for the Broncos. Exactly. And speaking of winning, Grumpy Pancake comes in. Oh, something I forgot to bring up. I know this is a Broncos pod, but can we take a few seconds to acknowledge how incredible the Nuggets have played? Is there any lead they can't come back from? What a series. Okay, now I'm done. Have a great day, lads. You have a great day as well. And, man, I was thinking this last night. The Lakers – better sweep the nuggets or else they're going to feel really <laughs> bad even being up three, one. <laughs> oh man. It's such a great position to be where the nuggets will never be uncomfortable. They won't be uncomfortable in any game. They won't be uncomfortable in any series score. Um, they're playing with house money. And I believe there's a quote out there that says, fear the man who has nothing to lose. I think that's where the nuggets are right now. Yep. Fear the team that has nothing to lose. Uh, you know, so he asked if we could take a few seconds to acknowledge the Nuggets. Can we take a few seconds to acknowledge Green Mountain Dental Group? I mean, they're only the best damn family-owned dentist group in the metro area, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like us. You know they're celebrating that Nuggets win. Uh, and you know that you can schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, and you'll re receive a free Sonicare toothbrush from Green Mountain Dental Group. So make sure you hit them up. They're a longtime DNVR partner, and they show us the love. So show them the love when you need some dental work done. It's Green Mountain Dental Group. Mm, after last night's celebration, everyone probably needed a little bit of some Strava Craft coffee this morning, not just to get that caffeine boost after uh, not a full night's sleep, but also that CBD probably helped ease some aches and pains going on with the body, and that's why Strava Craft coffee is a perfect two-in-one punch. You get that caffeine boost. And you also get the easing and relaxation of the CBD. And guys, Strava Craft Coffee is hooking you up with 20% off every single online order you have with subscribing to them. If you subscribe, you get 20% off every single order. And you can get it so it's just delivered straight to you every two, three, four, six, or eight weeks. And if you haven't tried Strava yet and you're not sure about subscribing, well, use that magical code DNVR20 for your first order to get 20% off. Give it a test. You'll find out you like it so much. And then you can subscribe for 20% off every single time. So check out Strava Craft Copy, magical code DNVR20. Um, I needed some serious Strava Craft Copy this morning. <laughs> I don't know how people go to sleep after big wins. Like, I don't know how there was people sleeping in Denver last night. I'm sitting up at 3 a.m. just watching highlights that I've already watched seven times. I'm like, I, my heart is still beating as if the game is going on. I, I don't know how people do it. I, I legitimately didn't get to sleep until 3.30. Uh, and I wasn't even tired until like 3.25. And I was like, oh, finally. <laughs> Man, I mean, the night games – it's, I mean, especially when the Broncos have a night game and you're just so amped up and looking at your screen the whole time. I can I can never go to bed. Barely went to bed last or two nights ago after the Broncos Monday night game. Yeah, uh, but I will say the thing that helped me get to sleep was remembering 
that I just dropped Zach in the Madden League. No. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, that uh, put me to sleep, too, as that <laughs> game did. <laughs> oh, you killed man. me, Ryan. You brought, it, you brought it to me. You know, I just had to – I had to lay down the law. I guess I'm the best player in the company now. It's just looking, the way it is. Uh, looking for positives out of that game, though. You, uh, on my side, you had a little Steven Goskowski moment. I did. Yes, I did miss an <laughs> extra point. Uh, the extra point that would have put me up 42 to 7. <laughs> we didn't have to throw this score in there. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I, I guess we also don't have to add in that I only played Saquon for the first two plays of the game to get him over 2,000 yards rushing on the Oh, seat. that is just insane. <laughs> uh, Saquon, apparently the leader in the clubhouse for the MVP race. Yeah, I'd say uh, 2,000 yards and what, a 13-3 and three record? Yep, 2,000 yards, the, the captain of the 13-3 and three Eagles. Yeah, that'll do it. All right, next one here is from Phil8841. First time commenting, but I have to tech, talk about the alleged lack of creativity in the second half. Broncos had five possessions in the second half, not counting the final 17 seconds. The first drive ended on the Judy drop. The second drive was also a three and out, and that one I agree was bad, bad play calling. The third drive was the touchdown, which looked pretty creative to me. The fourth drive got a first down and the punt pinned Tennessee back. The fifth drive had the Judy, Judy drop on first down. I know they didn't get the ball to Fant, but in watching the tape, at least some of that was Drew either missing him or choosing a different option. And Judy's open. I can't fault Drew throwing towards him. Anyway, I love the podcast. I love being a subscriber. I'm excited about this offense, and while I'm disappointed in the result of last night's game, I think the formula for a really exciting offense was apparent. You know, it's a good point. Um, the Broncos – it, it at least appeared in that game, are still not to the point where they can overcome big mistakes uh, as an offense. Um, you know, that is what always shocks me uh, about the Chiefs whenever I watch them. Like, it just doesn't matter. They could have a drop on first down and second down, and they'll just convert it on third down. It's so frustrating. Um, and, and the Broncos, it just seems like they aren't quite there yet. Now, obviously – um the first judy drop was on third down am i right uh, yes believe so yeah i think it was third down so there's no overcoming that um but the you know the first down uh the broncos went for the jugular you know they could have taken almost two minutes off the clock there but they said hey let's go move move the chains and uh take a whole another extra minute off the clock but and and be in field goal range um, but they're just not in the point yet where they are good enough to have a big mistake like that and overcome it. Yeah, they're, they're not. And also, they had a touchdown drive. If You just can't base success off having one touchdown drive every half. So um, I do hold the Broncos to a standard of higher than 14 points a game. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't completely uh, all bad in the second half, but that's you got to score more than 14 points a game. <laughs> Should you hold them to a standard higher than that based on the last few years, though? I, I think in the future, yes, but the standard the last three seasons has been about one touchdown a half, unfortunately. Oh, they were bad last year with Joe Flacco, and they got 17 points a game. So, yeah, you can hold them to more than that. You got oh, yeah. you you to be, top, be topping 20 points per game. Ideal, yeah. Topping 20 points per game – is for this for this team would be an accomplishment yeah they i mean yeah they should have had at least 24 that's what's frustrating about this it's like if you were a broncos offense detractor 
you yeah. feel justified right now. But like, as a Broncos offense proponent, I also feel justified. I'm just saying they're one good play away from having at least 21. They're a Jerry Judy drop away from having a game winning field goal, in my opinion. So it's just like, uh, it sucks that they're just like, you know, a, a hair away from being where we think they should be, uh, but not not there yet. And and that's what this year is about is getting there. Yep. Windy City Bronco. I keep seeing people talking about how Fangio has lost four games in the last 30 seconds. Looking back at the record, though, putting the blame on Fangio is pretty unfair. The Bears game last season was a total fluke with the refs allowing the Bears to call timeout after the clock had clearly run out. In the Colts game, don't look to Fangio to the endless three and outs by our offense as the Colts caught up. The Jaguars game wasn't really ours to win at the end. We gave them 232 left on the clock, and we were up by one point. That's textbook two-minute drill. Teams practice for over and over again. Yes, Fangio screwed up, but let's not revise history, make Fangio the bad guy for last season. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's the making him the bad guy. Um, it's just pointing out that his teams have had a really hard time closing. Yeah, and someone who is – a. Who, who's obviously a, a defensive mastermind that you brought him, you brought him in to, to bring out the most in the defense and uh, hasn't worked out late. Like against the Jaguars last year, they had a minute and 32 and they, they couldn't get, they couldn't get off the field. That said, yes. I mean, against the Colts, if the offense could have actually the offense on that third down, if they, if they throw in a Cortland Sutton, who three quarters of the time had either come down with a ball or forced an interference penalty or a holding penalty on the Colts, that that would have probably won the game there. But the Broncos uh, went in a different direction in that game. We can kind of point to individual things. The one thing I, I'm sorry I have to disagree with you on is I, the Bears did get the timeout, I thought. Yeah, I, you can I, argue with the penalty earlier on that drive, but I, but the Bears got the timeout. Exactly. If you're going to talk about that game, you you put that one on the refs. In my opinion, that one was a garbage call. Um, but again, you're supposed to do what the Nuggets did last night. Don't put yourself in a position to be affected by calls. Yeah, uh, man. Here's the thing about this team: how are they built? Are they built for Drew Locke to have the ball in his hands at the end of the game? Are they built for their defense to be on the field to get that last minute stop this year and last year, they're built on the defense being on the field at, at the end of a game. So, I mean, when you're built like that, it's okay to expect them to, to have stops and be more successful than not. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point, Zach. Uh, Count Locula with a new uh, strategy here of watching the live and then coming and commenting <laughs> in the comment section. I respect it. He says, the Russian cover, a Mace trademark pending, a new D featuring rookies and AAF outcasts coming to an NFL stadium <laughs> near you. I love it. The Russian cover. It sounds like some sort of betting term uh, for like, I don't know if they double the spread or something like that. <laughs> That's a fantastic yeah. nickname for a defense. That, that, that is, I mean, it'd be better if you could find a way to have like a player named, uh, you know, with like Volkov or something like that, <laughs> like that in there or something like that. Uh, oh man. I That's bet, your defensive you know, coordinator. But yeah, the Russian cover, is it a defense or is it a, no a novel about political intrigue? <laughs> right, or is it about how uh, Denver sports bettors have been putting more money on table tennis than any other sport? They're getting lots of Russian covers. From Butch Cassidy, gentlemen, extremely excited to have Perna officially join the family. 
Well, you have to censor his Fs. No, no, we, we're not in the business of censoring. Uh, we, like the three of us, just instinctually censor ourselves on this show. And we, we set that standard early on in, in the, uh, the Zach and RK days, uh, or maybe even before that. And we've just kind of gone by it ever since because the couple times we've ever slipped up, we've heard about it from people <laughs> saying, hey, hey, I, I listened to this with my kids in the car. You can't just be doing that. And so because of that, we've always honored it. But, you know, as a company, we're not against F-bombs. So I can just say, what the? You don't, you wouldn't. You're, you're supposed to censor me there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyways he says after watching the Steelers game last week I believe Noah Fant will be more important than ever the tight end room as a whole could be our solution to a Steelers defense what do you guys think about the matchup of RTDTEs versus the Steelers LBs this week I like the Broncos tight ends going up against any set of linebackers when they're playing well Noah Fant last week that's what he can be in the first half he can do that for an entire game Jake Butt uh, if, if he's healthy, which he is right now, he's a great matchup to have. And then Alberto, even right now, I, I, would, I would bring him up, activate him on game day, and use him as a weapon a couple of plays. So I, I love what the Broncos have with their tight ends, and I'll take it any day of the week against the linebacking core. Although, dramatically speaking, guys, you could have some matchups with Devin Bush covering Noah Fant. And so oh. the- almost the entire complement of that trade coming together with Drew Locke throwing a Noah Fant and Devin Bush in coverage. Who gets the better of that? That's, that's going to be intriguing. And uh, they would have – so, yeah, the trade was just Drew – oh, it's Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and then someone this year. Who was it this year? Well, remember – yeah, because remember, the, the Broncos, of course, had to make another trade to get in position to take Drew Locke. So you have, you have that other trade to kind of untangle when the Broncos moved up in the second round to pick Drew Locke right after they took Dalton Reisner. Right. So, the, okay. But wasn't there one pick this year that was from that trade? I want to say of, it was one of the third trade. rounders. Yes, it was. Um, or was it a Gene? Cushenberry. Oh, Cushenberry. So that, that takes turn the level because yep. you, you can have a play where nobody touches the ball, but people who are Broncos because of that trade and the other trade that followed, and Devin Bush could be the guy in coverage or making the tackle. Oh, That's man. Wild. My Twitter fingers are ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on here to the next one. Oh, goodness gracious. We have a novel. Um, okay. Here we go. DNVR for life. Hey, guys, I had a hard time getting through yesterday's pod. For once, I sided with Mace more than RK when it came to this team. Uh, it is only the first game that they had to get the rust brushed off, and they've dealt with a plethora of, plethora of injuries. Vic did an amazing job with filling the gaps for Von Miller, A.J. Boye, and Todd Davis. I would have expected a, a worse loss than what we lost by. Just so I'm on record, I believe that John Elway made the call to cut Todd Davis and not Vic Fangio. I'm confused at where Mace and I were uh, on different pages that uh, were yeah. that you were taking his side more than mine, but maybe maybe there's something. Uh, he says, "I know everyone is frustrated with how the game went, but I can't stand anyone outside of the TNVR family. Besides the family, Broncos fans are the absolute worst. They have no patience with anyone or anything." 
it's just sports fans as a whole. Honestly, <laughs> you know, anytime there's a sector of people that's as large as a, a fan base is, there's just going to be a lot of people who really suck. Um, <laughs> but I agree. This family uh, is like the the most curated and filtered out uh, group of, of fans to really get the best the, the group the best group possible. They're sophisticated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, he says, I love where this team is headed. I've seen something in, um, something in this one game that I never saw all of last year on offense. I'm with Mace. I hope we steal one of the next few games, but if we don't, I still believe we'll be second in our division and make the playoffs, ending the drought. All I have to say is if you don't agree, take your L on the way out when this team is in the playoffs. This team is so young and has so much potential. I love Vic Fangio as our coach, and will learn, and he will learn from his mistakes. The godfather will brew a plan to make this defense a top-five defense. We have the leader at QB to knock it at losses in our head and help everyone stay positive. We have the actual leader on this team now. Loved Vaughn, but he wasn't the leader we needed. Drew is that man. He'll be our franchise quarterback and lead us to at least two Super Bowls. I have no doubt in my mind. Love it. <laughs> everyone needs to stop being short-sighted and look at the future and the potential this team has. Stop being such babies about a rusty start with no pregames. Broncos country and their negativity are part of the problem and not the solution. I don't think that matters. Uh, support our team and the coaching staff instead of beating someone down because they made a mistake. Find the positive of what they did and focus on that. If we don't recognize it, don't you think they do? And aren't we all harder on ourselves than what anyone else could be? That's a good point. Just stop. Dis disheartens me to see this not only going on with our uh, Broncos, but our country. We are all equal. We do not need division and hate in our lives with our brothers and sisters. We need to come together in times of hardships and support one another. This is not a one-sided issue. There shouldn't be sides, but apparently there are. We can all be better. There will always be hate on either side, but we can't control others. We can only control what we do. We can choose to be a positive influence, set the example, and not give in to hate. We are all not racist. I spent two years living in Mexico and fell in love with people and culture I never knew. I was called names and robbed at gunpoint because I was a different color, but that never took away my love for the people. They are my family. I learned the language and spent time with their families. I have lifelong relationships with them. That will never change. A little bit of a rant, but I think he made a lot of good points in there. Um, I don't think fans whining is part of the problem, but uh, I do think that uh, it is a good message to find the good in situations and focus on that, uh, regardless of whether it's the Broncos or the rest of life. Yeah, and I love that that we do that. You know, yet we we do tell you the truth of what's going on, but also it's more fun to be happy, right? Isn't it more enjoyable to to look at the the good stuff? Yeah. Well, is this com is that comment reading as Mace was the uh, the optimist yesterday and I was the pessimist? <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounded like, and I was like, mm, I don't know. I th I think it's not an optimistic or pessimistic thing. It's a it's one game. And there are snap conclusions from week one that end up being completely wrong when you look back at them even three or four weeks later. So I get why everyone is frustrated about it and about the game. And certainly a 16-game schedule means that there's a lot of urgency to each contest. I understand that. But this season is still about the team becoming – rather than what the team is. So just step back. I mean, I, I, I thought that the game was winnable, but I also looked at the Titans and said, and, and said you know, this, they probably should have had 20, 26 points, 23 points in, in the game. And, uh, you know, just kind of learn from, learn from what happened and uh, move on. And, again, if, if the Broncos go 0-2 and, 
and they show some positives, I'm not panicking. No, and, and I'll, I want to just clarify, I'm not panicking either. I, I still have all the faith in the world in this team, and especially in Drew Locke as the leader of this team. The, the, the thing that I've been harping on, and I'd say the only thing that I was really down on, is just Vic Fangio uh, and his inability to manage the clock and call the defense at the same time. I think that's a really concerning problem. Uh, other than that, if they fix that, I, I, I feel great about this team. Yet I'm, I'm glad he admitted it. Totally. There are a lot Hell of coaches yeah. – that would that would be so prideful that they wouldn't publicly admit to that. So while Vic is getting raked over the the coals a little bit, I also admire and salute him for being open and honest about a shortcoming that he knows he has to get better at. Yeah, I felt bad for Vic yesterday. I, he knew he made a mistake. He knew that mistake was huge, and he was probably the hardest person on himself. Uh, he see, he seemed beat down yesterday. Yeah, I don't think he slept a wink. Yeah, probably after that not. game because of that. Now go fix it. Last one coming in from True Champ Fan Twenty Four. My peoples, I have little <laughs> faith in our defense. I know it was Week One, but kind of like RK said, as soon as the Titans got the ball back, I just knew they were going to score. I did not have any hope or feeling about the defense stepping up. I just sat back, sat back down, looked at my daughter, and said. On to the Steelers, I guess. Thankfully, she is only two and has no idea what was going on because I was big, bummed, LOL. Love y'all. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't like the idea that you don't have faith in the defense. I think the defense uh, is good enough to keep the Broncos in every game they play. Um, and it's just going to be about execution on both sides of the ball. But, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where the Titans had plenty of time uh, and they only had to get a field goal. It's like we mentioned earlier. You you really don't want to be putting your defense in that position. I would I, I would venture to guess that the odds say that when a team gets the ball back with over two minutes left and they only need a field goal to win the game, I bet you they win more times than they lose. It was not a surprise that the Broncos only scored 14 points in this game. I knew, especially early on, that the Broncos weren't going to be winning games with their offense. Now, they may put up 30 points against the Steelers and win, but there's also a chance they come back against the Bucks and put up another 14-point game. There's going to be many sub-20 games by this Broncos offense. The key on whether they're going to be 6-10 and 10 or potentially 9-7 or nine and seven is how many of those games can the defense win? They weren't able to do it um, uh, last Monday with giving up that. But can the Broncos make some stops at the end of games? Can they make a pick six? Can they do something to win two of those games? It, you can have a losing record in those games because your offense is going to win you games when they score more than 20 points. But you can't go over in, in all of those games that the offense struggles. Agree. Completely mm -hmm. agree. Um, and uh, true champ fan. Zach's paid up on his pizza bets. Yeah. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> uh, I need crap. I do need to get get me some pizzas. Uh, I forgot to get them before I went back on my diet, but at least I have I have the uh, the funds for whenever I decide. <laughs> exactly. Good old pie. I had to pay up by uh, what eight twenty on Monday night. Yep, got it in early. <laughs> All right, uh, before. We bounce out of here. We gotta give a shout out again to Green Mountain Dental Group, the best damned family-owned dentist group in the metro area. They're DNVR supporters. They're Colorado sports fans. 
they're all the things that you should want in a business that you want to support. So when you need some dental work done, head over there. And when you schedule a cleaning x-ray and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush. But for today, that's going to wrap it up for us on the DNVR Broncos podcast. We will talk to you soon. Have a great day.